However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Give me a big chop. I'll sell. I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and then I'll punch you right in the mouth as hard as I can. (laughs) Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. We are now in the middle of of the holiday season, this episode dropping on December 18th, and I really hope you've been enjoying uh, this time of the year. Uh, You know, we all have to work, uh, but I hope, you know, on the weekends and then when you are not at work that you're really enjoying uh, the season uh, along with your friends and your family, and I hope you take the time to let them know how much you appreciate them being in your lives. Uh, We want to uh, celebrate this year, and I hope it's been a good one for everybody, 2019, uh, by having a very special podcast that will involve you as well. I want all, all, you, all of our listeners to be a part of it. And uh, what we're going to do with it is uh, we're going to look back on the year. We're going to uh, have some clips of some of our favorite podcast uh, personalities that, were, that joined us during the year. And then also get your, your take on uh, what were some of your favorites or get your take on uh, you know, what's going on in the world of professional wrestling, talk about the show. Uh, really, I want uh, you to be a part of it, and it is... Pretty easy to do. All you have to uh, do is uh, email us at primetimemooney uh, at gmail.com. Primetimemooney at gmail.com. And we will send you a link to our, our Crowdcast platform. That's where we uh, are able to do these if you've done uh, been with us for any of the watch-alongs that we do. And uh, you can be a part of it. Now, also, you can contact us on our Facebook page, and we can get the link to you. Or also through Twitter or Instagram, at primetimemooney. But I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and I hope that you will join us for it as we look back at 2019. All right, we are coming off a conversation with Brian Hebner, Baby Hebner, as he uh, has his Twitters, at Baby Hebner. <laughs> but of the famed family of referees, uh, he is the son of Earl Hebner, his uncle's Dave Hebner. And uh, if uh, you enjoy, you had a chance to listen to that uh, episode, you know, he says that he always knew he was going to be involved in the business and, uh, you know, from the time he was a kid, and it was just kind of the natural of order of things, I think his dad may have wanted him to maybe go into a different business. But once he realized that uh, there was no persuading him to do something else, his dad said, okay, well, I'm going to show you how to do this. And then he let him uh, find his own path because Earl you know, knew for him to last in this business, he couldn't be uh, carrying him or, or, or helping him along. And he you know, got him in the door, but after that, it was pretty much up to Brian, and he became and has become one of the best referees in the business. Was with the WWE for uh, a long time, and now is with the NWA. And you see him every week on the Power program, which uh, you can catch on YouTube every single Tuesday. 
at 6:05 when they drop that, and you can see Brian is uh, one of the one of the personalities uh, of that that uh, whole uh, show that they've got that's uh, going. They just had a uh, great pay per view. I don't know if you uh, folks got a chance to catch it, but if you got some time, man, it is uh, there's a lot happening with the NWA these days, and I really really enjoyed that conversation with Brian Hebner. Uh, as we move along here, I want to get a shout out to our Patreon members. Um, Thanks, folks, for sticking with us and helping to support the program. Uh, if you haven't become part of it yet, for as little as $4.99 a month, you get all the episodes. And we've got a lot going on during the week, uh, early and ad-free, because I know a lot of folks don't like to listen to those ads that, uh, that uh, are inserted in there, but we need, to, we need them because they help us uh, support this program and so we can keep doing it every week. But if you don't want to uh, have to hear them, you can uh, join us on our Patreon page. Uh, for $4.99, get it all early and ad-free. And, of course, every Monday we've got the Network Classics where we do a watch-along with one of the uh, great programs from the WWE Network and their archives. And then we drop a, an original episode, a brand-new episode, every single week on Wednesdays. And then we go back into the vault and bring out an episode uh, from the past that perhaps you haven't had a chance to listen to every Saturday and it all is dropped at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Every one of those three times a week, we've got something new uh, on the website for you to listen to. So check it out. We'd love to have you join us if you haven't already. Um, but uh, as I mentioned, with the Patreon, you can uh, get the episodes early and ad-free. And you can find out more about that by just going to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. That's uh, patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Uh, as I mentioned, looking forward to having that uh, best of 2019 episode. I hope you'll join us. Uh, also, if you're running, uh, you know, you're running out of time for gifts. You've got uh, basically one week until Christmas, guys. And uh, I got a great idea. Why not get uh, that special someone a T-shirt from the PTSM collection? Perhaps a Sean Mooney Who T-shirt, or maybe the uh, an MWO shirt, the Mooney World Order. Uh, we've also got some hats up there. You can get a PTSM hat or a Legion of Who uh, hat. So uh, check out our T-shirts at MooneyTees.com. Man, that's easy. MooneyTees.com and uh, pick up those uh, Christmas gifts for those you love. Okay. All right. This week we have a very interesting conversation with a man uh, who was with the WWF when it was, when it was in its heyday. I'm talking uh, when he was there. It was 1987 to 1991. And uh, he also happens to be the brother of Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, the half-brother of Jake. And, uh, you know, while being related to uh, the Snake Charmer certainly helped get Sam Houston uh, to the WWF, uh, he would have to travel his own road and earn his way, which is exactly what he had to do. And what a journey it was. One that including uh, getting his start from Dusty Rhodes. That's right. You'll hear him tell you about it. Uh, to losing molars uh, because of... Uh, <laughs> His encounter with a giant. I think you know which one I'm talking about. That's right, boss. And almost getting uh, getting eaten by cannibals. I kid you not. Twice. Okay? <laughs> it's all coming. So, let's get to my conversation with Sam Houston. Ding, ding, ding. You know, folks, during that glorious time in professional wrestling, I'm talking from 1985 until the early 90s, some of the greatest in the history of professional wrestling were on the roster of the WWF. You know, and top to bottom, to be a part of that superstar lineup, you had to be uh, the best of the best. And my guest on this episode of 
PTSM was uh, part of that fraternity, uh, wrestling for the WWF from 1987 until 1991, uh, stepping into the ring with some of the biggest names in the business. Sam Houston, welcome to Primetime. How are you? I am doing great, and thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here. I've been be able to reach out to my fans and everything, and you're right. You know, uh, it, that time in wrestling, that was glorious. It, those oh, were the man. glory days for me. And, you know, and, and what you said, too, the be- the best of the best were up there at that time. I mean, you, you couldn't go up to the WWF, uh, you know, unless you were on your A game. Yeah. You know, there was there was no nights that you could be a B team player. You had to be on your A game every every night. You know, and I'm just honored and, and thankful that I that you know that my my creator gave me the gift to be able to be there. Yeah, you know, Sam, you you think about it back at that time, and uh, it really is amazing. And, and I've actually you know looked at the roster, and at that point in time, they might have somewhere between sixty and sixty five what we called superstars. Uh, back then and uh, you're talking about the uh the world of professional wrestling at the time there there was still a, a lot of territories out there uh people across the country thousands of professional wrestlers that would have loved to have been a part of what was happening in the wwf at the time and uh and you and you were part of it and you know it's it's funny because uh we were there pretty much at the same time i uh, i started there you know uh in um uh, in 88 and then was there until 93 and you were you were there about the same time and I remember uh watching you come up and and develop um and it really was just a, a tremendous time and uh you know to to have been part of what was happening there and what do you remember because you had wrestled in other territories and then you've got you know Vince McMahon comes along and uh, the world just explodes and uh what do you remember of that period of time in professional wrestling well, you know, a lot of big things were going on, you know, before, okay, before uh, I got, uh, I guess, you know, I ran away from home when I was 17 years old or 18 years old and Dusty started me out down in Florida. I was 19 when I got started out and Dusty changed my name to Sam Houston because mm-hmm. uh, folks, my real name is Michael Smith. And uh, I remember sitting in his office. I had left home. My dad didn't want me to start wrestling because I had uh, had a tonsillectomy when I was 17, and I passed on the table for two minutes. Wow. And he told me, I've already lost you once. Yeah, I, I went from April the 2nd that year till August the 13th without eating food. Oh I dropped God. from 230 pounds to 128 pounds. Well, it took me a long time to get my weight back up. I got my weight back up, and our Dad said I'd already lost you, so I, I and he didn't want me to break in the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went down to Florida, and Dusty was down in Florida, and my dad in 1969, Grizzly Smith was my dad, y'all. Right. Uh, my dad gave Dusty Rhodes his big break. Dusty was getting ready to quit the business for good, and he was working <laughs> the one last shot at the <laughs> Dallas Sportatorium. And my dad wrestled Dusty and uh, switched things up and gave Dusty his big break. And, you know, uh, so Dusty felt like he was returning the favor. Well, I was sitting in Eddie Graham's office and Dusty, I told Dusty, I said, I don't want to wrestle under my name. I don't want things handed to me. I want to earn my position. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
So he says, listen, babies, we're going to call you Michael Sam Houston, you know? <laughs> and the Michael only stayed for about two weeks. I don't know if it was easier to print it on the program, just Sam or, or what. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, I, and I was in love with the business. I have a passion for the wrestling business. And then I went to the Crockett's for WCW. It was Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. And then I went to, uh, from there to, I was the Central, I was the Mid-Atlantic Champion for the Crockett's. Then I became the Central uh, States champion when Crockett when the Crockett's bought out the Kansas City territory, and then all, over a payoff uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, that kind of like sealed my fate. I left uh, the NWA for the UWF for Bill Watts, mm -hmm. and I wrestled down there for seven months. And then Crockett came in and bought the bought that territory from Bill Watts and said nobody's going to get fired. And then I got called to come of the tv taping early and eddie gilbert said except for you so uh i made the phone call to vince and vince said yo oh yes we'd love to have you <laughs> and uh you know he and he told me he'd been watching me for a, a long time and brought me up there and boy it was all gangbusters and it was like a whole different world you know yeah. it was like wow yeah it was, it was just awesome you know uh and like you said there was like 65 68 guys on the, on the roster i don't remember exactly how many on the permanent roster and then you, you know we had the developmental talent or whatever from territory to territory sometimes or fill-in talent yeah. you know that uh but we were running three major cities a night at yeah. that time you know, you'd have something going on in the Carolinas. You'd have something going on around Detroit. You'd have something going on in Seattle or, or, you know, just, and it, it was a heck of a schedule. I went 93 days without a day off one time. And that was wrestling twice on Saturdays, a matinee and then the evening show, twice on Sundays, a matinee and an evening show. And then you remember the television tapings. You might oh, wrestle yeah. one time. You might wrestle four times. Yeah. You know, so, but you had to be always be on your A game. And I just think, I, I just thank the Lord above for, for putting it in my heart and giving me the passion for this sport to, uh, to never be second best. Now I might not win the foot race, but I was always going to give, go out there and give it the best I possibly could, you know? And then I was blessed because every night of my career, I was getting in the ring with, with, the best of the best, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I was thinking, somebody asked me the other day, he said, what was your best match? <laughs> well, I really can't tell you that yeah. because I've been in the ring with Flair. I've been in the ring with Kurt Henning. I've been in the ring with Tully, uh, Tully Blanchard, with Arn Anderson. I've been in the ring with Crusher Khrushchev. Even though uh, Black Bart was not that technical wrestler, I had some awesome matches with Eddie Gilbert, Sting, Rick Steiner. I mean, I, I was in the ring with Don Morocco, with Dino Bravo. I was in the ring with the uh, the Rougeos, the British Bulldogs. I, I was in the ring with the, the Hart Foundation. You know, um, Brett told me at, at, at a WrestleMania, uh, what, a couple of years ago, he said, he goes, did we ever work together? And I said, yeah, Brett, we, we wrestled in Lake Placid, New York. <laughs> and he sat there and he thought about it for a few minutes. He goes... Yeah, we did, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, I, but I, I've had so much, so many great matches with so many different people. It's hard for me to say what matches. Yeah. You know, and, uh, before we really get into, uh, your time away something WWF. From, yeah, go ahead. Huh? Go ahead. Oh, um, 
but yeah, every time I got in the ring with those guys, I took something away. You yeah. know, I learned from each and every one of them, and 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 it was awesome. Yeah, you know, and that was uh, you know, like you said, you learned from so many people. I mean, you you were around the business your entire life, but uh, for those who don't really know the the backstory to all this, as you mentioned, your dad uh, is Grizzly Smith. And, uh, you know, he, he's certainly uh, a big part of the business, not just as a wrestler, but also a, a promoter and uh, all the other things that he did. And then uh, your uh, half-brother, Jake Roberts, uh, uh, you guys shared the same father. And then also uh, Rockin' Robin, uh, Robin, your sister. And uh, what was that like, uh, you know, growing up? And, and I know Jake was a lot older. I think Jake was about eight years older than you. So explain to us, like, that whole dynamic. Was he around? Uh, you know, did, were you with your dad? The business, you know, like, uh, separates a lot of people because they're working all the time. So what was it like growing up? Okay, well, let's see. Uh, you know, my earliest memories and stuff like that, uh, dad had, uh, uh, well, Jake and Jolene uh, and then Richard. Mm-hmm. They were my, my stepbrothers uh, and sister. And then, um, and then it was Robin and I, yeah. and, uh, Jake, like you said, eight years older, you know, so he was sort of out of our age group and everything, but he was always there. He, you know, he, Jake's always been a very helpful person, uh-huh. you know, um, a lot of people don't know this about him, but any of the guys in the locker room or anything else, Jake will take time and sit there and talk with them and, and, and help them. And I really applaud Jake because he's doing what some of the things that I'm doing now, speaking at schools, mm-hmm. he goes and speaks at schools, but growing up, he wasn't really around in, um, Oh, I guess my dad, uh, took the job for, for with Leroy McGurk. We were living in Gainesville, Texas, which was Jake's hometown. And when, uh, when we moved to Louisiana, Jake and, and Joe Lynn and Richard, uh, decided they'd stay in Texas. Mm-hmm. So it was just Robin and I that moved down to Louisiana now, I was on the road almost every night with my dad growing up. Um, I'd go, because, you know, I had a passion. I love this business. And I wanted to be there as much as I could. So dad would take me on the road trips with him all the time. And, uh, and, and, and you know, I would get to see. But <laughs> more than get to see, I'd get to feel. Because I had guys like Danny Hodge and Dick Murdoch and this Haystacks Calhoun. I remember hmm. my dad telling me, go punch him in the stomach. I got whopped right back in the nose, you know, but I took it. <laughs> But, but Danny, you know, Haystacks was 640 pounds, yeah. so, you know, but your dad, your dad's standing seven foot tall, he's close to 400 himself, and he tells you to do something, you tend to do it. Do. <laughs> but, uh, so, but Danny Hodge and these guys, Skandar Akbar, all these guys were there, and they were grabbing me in the dressing room and showing me things and everything, and then, uh, and, and that's where I learned the, my grappling skills, my wrestling skills. Um, and then Jake came back around, you know, they'd come like once a year and spend a week or two with us or whenever we were driving through Texas, we'd get to stop and visit. And then Jake started, uh, refereeing. Uh, I guess he was about 17, 18, maybe 19 years old. He was young. Mm-hmm. Um, but he started refereeing in the Louisiana territory under the name Fred Platt. Hmm. Uh, I don't know where the name came from. I, I think he had a friend named Fred Platt or something because I saw in a, in a newspaper clipping of a fellow by the name of Fred Platt that was at his wedding. So I don't know if that was just a tongue in cheek little joke or yeah. what have you. Yeah. Um, 
But Jake started wrestling, I mean, a refereeing under the name Fred Platt, and then he had his first matches under that name, and then he left there. Well, we didn't really see a whole lot of each other. You know, when I went down to Florida to start, Jake had already left and gone to the Carolinas. So by the time I got to the Carolinas, Jake had left the Carolinas and gone down and, and was in Georgia championship wrestling. And then I brought a lot of his things from Florida to the Carolinas with me because he left in a hurry. And then uh, I, I brought it, I brought him his things in Georgia one night. And then I got my national debut on uh, and made the highlight reel. He, Jake was really pumping me up, which will bring me to another story later on down the line in a minute. <laughs> but he was really pumping me up because he was, he, you know, he was the uh, the pencil at the time. Uh, in Georgia, so he was telling me it was a Tuesday night in Gainesville. We went, I brought him his things. We went out partying. We went to a couple clubs and everything. And then he said, you know, if you're not doing Saturday, nothing Saturday morning, why don't you come down here? I'll give you your big break on WTBS. Hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to be on national TV. Well, he didn't tell me, but put me against the Road Warriors. Oh my you know, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, it was great. So anyway, I get in the ring, I'm all pumped up and everything, thinking that you know I'm 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 just gonna dominate. Yeah, animal hit me so hard with the with the clothesline and fractured my jaw, and I did a flip and a half oh, when he hit me. So I made their highlight reel. Yeah, I made their highlight reel. <laughs> anyway, so after the match was over, after it was all over. Uh, I, I, I walk and I find their dressing room and I walk in the dressing room and, you know, I, I was brought up a certain way to, you know, to, for, with, with respect and, you know, um, uh, professionalism. Yeah. So I walked into the dressing room, I was holding my jaw and I went over to, and I, and I shook, uh, animal's hand first. And I said, thank you for the opportunity. I was holding my jaw. I said, thank you for the opportunity. And he looked at me like I was, you know, like I was nuts. Yeah. And then I walked over and I shook uh, Hawk's hand. And I said, thank you for, very much for the opportunity. And Hawk turned around and looked at Jake. Jake and Hawk were roommates at the time. And Hawk said in that deep voice, of his, he goes, hey, Jake, he's not the asshole. You are, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he set you up. So in the holy crap! Yeah, yeah. So after that, after that, it was, uh, you know, you know, I was always cool with the Road Warriors. After that, you know, they really liked me. And then, uh, but later on, years down the road, I remember when Jake got into it with Andre the Giant. Well, Jake, (laughs) do you remember that? Yeah, man, that's uh, that's that's not a place you want to be. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, anyway, Jake pulled a little prank on me up in Madison Square Garden. It was my first shot in the garden, you know? Yeah. And boy, I was all excited when I went to work for Vince. I was all excited, man. I'm wrestling in, besides the Coliseum in Rome, this is probably the most famous Coliseum in the world. Yeah. For wrestlers, and for sure. Too. So I walk in, yeah, yeah, and I got goosebumps all over. Well, I don't like to know who I'm going to wrestle before I get to an event. You know, I just never have. Yeah. Why worry about Abdullah the Butcher or something like that for two weeks when you can just get there and have to worry about it for 45 <laughs> minutes, you know? Yeah. So, That's a good way to look so at it. That's I, I, 
Yeah, I get to the guard. Well, first, you know, we parked our cars at Mata, where you have to take the police cars would bring you to the garden, yeah. and then the ambulance would check, would take you back. So the police car drops me off at the garden. I go in, I ride up on the elevator, get to the dressing room level. I'm walking along. I see the the uh, the, the the paper taped to the wall, the roster. So I go over there and I look at the list. Wow, I'm in the battle royal. Huh. Well, now I want to see who else is in the battle royal. And I'm going through the the, the names. And wow, my brother's in the battle royal, too. This is the first time we'd ever been in the ring together. This, what a night this was going to be, you know? So the match is starting and everything, and it's time for the battle royal. Well, we go to the battle royal, uh, go to the ring for the battle royal. Well, it's hockey season. And during hockey season, they keep the ice on the floor, yeah. and they put particle board on top of the ice. And then the chairs in the ring, but they keep it super cold in that building to, you know, so the ice stays frozen. (laughs) So I remember when they rang the bell for the battle royal, somebody snatched me in a headlock in the middle of the ring and I'm standing there in the headlock bent over and somebody came and slapped me in the back. Oh my gosh, it stung. Uh. And I looked down between my legs and I see snakeskin boots walking by. (laughs) My brother is the only person with snakeskin wrestling boots. You knew it was him. So I, yeah. So I, I did my little Harley race trick. I got over in the corner and I'm looking at everything, watching everything, trying to keep out of the way. And I, a few minutes later, Jake was tied up with somebody in the corner. I think it was Roddy. So anyway, he had Roddy in the corner. His back was wide open. I went over there, Sean. I slapped him so hard in the back, I left a handprint on his <laughs> chest. So. so so he's really he's really putting it over his you know so now i'm standing in the ring (laughs) yeah yeah i'm standing in the middle of the ring because i'm smiling like a cheshire cat i'm like happy you know because i'm gonna take my blame so he walks over to me in the middle of the ring for uh during the battle royal and he goes he goes hey he goes there's not a whole lot of guys know that we're brothers here you know yet and i was like yeah i said what do you want to do he said, well, let's work together on this. Yeah. And, I, and I said, okay. I said, well, what we need to do first. And Andre's over on the ropes, and he's beating up on about four guys and loving every minute of it. Oh, 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 oh. You know, just laying stiff. them in. Yeah. So, so he goes, you ready? And I said, yeah. So Jake took one step. Well, I didn't know he stopped. I just kept on walking. Yeah. And I walk over there and I grab Andre by the leg and I'm trying to hoist him up and everything. And after, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds, I realize I ain't getting no kind of help. <laughs> and I look back in the middle of the ring and Jake's over there laughing his hind end off. <laughs> About that time, this hand that's bigger than a baseball glove comes along and catches me on the left side of the head and I land in second row of ringside and, and spitting out. He had, he had knocked two molars oh my out. So I'm spitting teeth parts out like chiclets. <laughs> you know, I'm on my hands and knees. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'm out, out of here. So I get back in the dressing room and I'm icing my jaw down. And oh, I'm sitting there. And a few minutes after the battle roll is over, Terry Garvin, he was one of the road agents. Yeah. He comes up and he goes, he goes, dancing Sam. The giant wants to see you. Okay. I was like, oh, gosh. You know, because I'd known Andre since I was a little kid. Yeah. 
I was like, oh, God. So Jerry walks off. He comes back a few minutes later, and I'm still sitting there. And he goes, damn, he said, the giant wants to see you. Go to that man's dressing room. Do not make him come looking for you. Oh, boy. So I was like, all right. So I get up, and I go to Andre's dressing room, and I knock on the door. And he goes, yes. (laughs) And I open it up, and he goes, come in. So I come in. He goes, sit. Boy, and I sit down on the chair real fast, too. And I got to tell you, Sean, yeah. I'm, I, I wasn't real heavy or nothing like that. I was probably about 225, 228 yeah. around that time. But I'm trying to look like 160 pounds. I don't want this man to think I'm trying to intimidate him at all. Yeah. You know, not that, that I could. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. And he goes, let me tell you something. He goes, I've known you. I like you. I don't like your brother, though. He's an asshole. From now on, you travel with me. So I traveled with Andre for about five or six months. Everywhere he went, he had me on all of his cards and everything. And I would drink with that man every night. Oh, Bring God. my friend Crown Royal and Coke. Oh, yeah. But I got to tell you, man, what an awesome individual. You know, and I, like I said, he used to come down when he first started or when he first come over here to the States. He'd come down and work for Leroy McGurk uh-huh. down there. And him and dad would be tag team partners, you know, on the two weeks it took around to, to get around the territory. And I get to travel with them some and everything. So, you know, it was it, it, for me, it was awesome, you know. Oh. And then when I was a little bit older, when I was 15, when Andre would come in, I'd pick him up, and I had a 72 Grand Torino um, uh, Super Sport, like the one in the Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. And I would pick him up and, and, you know, take him around to the towns and that. But, I, I mean, I you know, there's some some things. I was, I was telling a friend of mine this morning, I was like, you know, my life has been something that, you you know, it's you can't put into words sometimes. Because of all the people that, that that I've touched, all the people that I've met, all the people that have, that have been there, that you know, um, everything I can do, you know, to help, I want to help. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, it's been really awesome. I mean, I, I, I I've met, I guess, you know, the cream of the crop. Yeah, and like I said, you grew up in this, and uh, uh-huh. you know, I, I guess you you always knew you were going to be a part of it. When did you, uh, you know, like formally start training, or did that happen when you ran away and and uh, Dusty, uh, you know, well, when when I was action, a little I kid, yeah, when when I was a little kid, I knew I was going to be a wrestler because I, I remember I was four years old, and, and my grandmother asked me what I was doing, and I said I'm practicing my autograph. Mm. You know, <laughs> and then when I was in second grade in uh, in school there in Baton Rouge, um, there was this uh, coach. He was a the wrestling coach for Catholic. I'm not Catholic, but he was a wrestling coach for Catholic High, mm-hmm. uh, the high school wrestling team there in Baton Rouge. And he was having a summer camp. Well, I had a friend of mine that was in high school, and he was going to be going to that camp. So I found out about the wrestling camp, and I went. Well, when I went uh, to the camp, Jim Shields and Danny Hodge and all these great amateur wrestlers came to watch me. Mm. And then so, so Coach Murphy, his name was Coach Barrett Murphy, you know, he saw, because he was a, he was a, a school teacher. 
But, you know, here's all these collegiate NCAA champions and everything coming to his wrestling camp. So he found benefit. So he, he started letting me work out with the high school boys some for the high school team. And, and then, you know, the guys would come with me and, and who's a better teacher to have your English coach or an NCAA champion. Yeah. So the, the guys would come with me and then their interest was with me, but they loved wrestling too. So they're showing all the guys, Hmm. you know, things. So, you know, I, I, uh, I went through that wrestling camp and then when I was in night, uh, in, in high school, uh, I was able to be on the wrestling team for a year and a half before, you know, moving and everything else around. Uh, I, I was undefeated in high school. Uh, but then again, I was only in like, what, three tournaments, but uh, I won all three of them. Hmm. And then, uh, uh, when I was what, 13 years old, um, I was in Dothan, Alabama and Randy Tyler grabbed me by the hair and pulled me in the ring and the TV taping, uh, before the show and kind of, he, he started having a, a match with me uh-huh. and he could, he could come out of the ring and he told my dad, he said, that kid's a natural, really? you know, he's going to be awesome. And then, uh, later on the, oh gosh, uh, later on that year, I met, uh, Michael Hayes. He was wrestling. I mean, he was refereeing under the name Mike Sites mm-hmm. in Pensacola. And then, the, uh, when we came back, we were coming back through, we were uh, wrestling for George Culkin. And that's when I met Terry Gordy that same year. And Gordy was 15 years old. And I was so jealous cause I was 13, you know, and I knew I had it too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would get in the ring. Uh, I, I ended up when I, when I got back to work for Bill Watts, when my dad went to work for Watts, uh, I was, when I was 15 years old, I was the ring crew guy. I was uh, carrying the ring from town to town where if they didn't have a ring, I was setting it up. And every time I'd set it up, you know, I'd get in there and, you know, I'd just run the ropes or, or whatever, you know, and try moves and stuff like that. And then um, before I really actually made my debut, uh, George Weingroff, he was Saul Weingroff's son. George was legally blind and George was wrestling. Hmm. George got me in the ring twice. And he worked out with me in the ring two times. And then I went down to Florida and I made my debut. Yeah. Well, so I, mean, I uh, really didn't go through a school or yeah. anything like that. Nobody, you know, but all my experience and everything was like in the dressing room. When somebody asked me today, they said, Oh, well, do you need a ring to work out in? And I said, No, I learned to wrestle on concrete. You know, yeah, and ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they didn't. When I first started, they didn't have mats on the floor yeah. outside the ring. You, was, when you hit, you hit hard. Yeah, a school of hard knocks, and and I guess you know I've heard that many times where uh, somebody didn't necessarily get formal training. Their their training was the matches, and then their university was uh, in cars on the road, uh, traveling between uh, different towns with these veterans. Yeah, and you know, and but and I was so blessed because when I was in the Carolinas, man, yeah. I was okay. I was on the road with uh, Nelson Royal. I was on the road with Johnny Weaver, Sonny Fargo, Roughhouse Fargo. I was on the road with Rufus Jones, Jimmy Valiant. I was on the road with Dusty and Blackjack. I was on the road with all these guys: Mike Davis, Mike Rotundo, who's still up there, I guess, for WWE. Yeah. I was on the road with all these guys. You know, and Hector Guerrero, I mean, gosh, I mean, you can't imagine the knowledge, you you know, and back then too, 
Okay, uh, I was blessed to be able to be, you know, a good enough worker to where I was working every night. To where, when on the on the trip back, you're drinking beer and you're talking business and stuff like that. But you're able to uh, imp- implement what you learned that night. The next night, mm-hmm. you know, you're in there. You don't have to wait two weeks before you have another event. You know, you were able to put that in, put put that into action the very next night or two nights later or something like that. And that's where I was so blessed. I mean, I, gosh, Ole and uh, Gene Anderson, you know, uh, what, what what more could you ask? Yeah, and, you know, today's, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot different than in, uh, where these guys get their experience because, like you said before, I mean, you were wrestling, when you said, 93 days in a row, but, you know, where you're working, you know, five or six at least times a week, uh you can't help but get better if you've got any talent, and that's that was uh, that's how it was done back then. You know, and yeah, and it was, it, and it was. I, I, if I had to say in a way, I'd call it the right way, mm-hmm. because you know you, you're out there in front of a live crowd, you know, every night, you know, and that's what it, that's what it kind of needs to get down to now. It, oh, it just irritates the crap out of me. I, you know. I watch the I watch what's on today, mm-hmm. you know. And anybody, I'm not. First of all, when I get in the ring, I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence, you know. Right. But I see things going on nowadays. I see things going on nowadays, and I'm going, well, there's no way that you could do that, you know. Uh, there's just, I mean, I know they're trying to like do sensationalism and everything else like that. But I don't know of anybody that ever stuck their finger in Wahoo McDaniel's face or Ole Anderson's face and said, you're fake. Thing I did some high-flying maneuvers, too. But your mind made sense. Yeah. You know? Hey, yeah. Um, and, but one of the things I see today, uh, you, you know, you're just looking at it. Oh, yeah, let me pop. Yeah, that was a good move. But yeah. that's never going to be done in a street fight. You know, that's never going to be done anywhere but this trampoline with all the ropes around it. Yeah. You know, right. and, and that that's how the people, that's how people, the fans that, that come and talk to me, they're like, oh, you know, well, no, it's, you know, you're perceiving it wrong. You know, and I, I do, I defend the business as much as I can to people. But, you know, there are times where, where you have to say yourself, well, I'm just not buying it. Yeah. Well, and and also you come from uh, your old school, and and uh, like back in the '80s, I remember a lot of the guys that were with the WWF were second generation uh, wrestlers. They'd come uh, through families like that, and that and you were, of course, uh, one of those people um, being around, you know, Grizzly Smith, and I, you know, and Jake. Uh, has you know told the story that he didn't really get along with your father, but it sounds like you had a different relationship with him. What was your relationship like with with Grizz? Um, me and my dad were uh, were really close. We were really close. We had a great relationship. You know, um, oh gosh, you know, I I could like you know go into a whole lot of stuff. You know, um, but. I can tell you this, you know, without going into all that stuff, that I was never abused or molested or anything like that. I was, you know, my dad was my best friend. Um, now, I'm not going to say that everything that happened in my childhood was right. I mean, mm-hmm. I was on the road with my dad, and 
the rule in the car was, you know, if, if they're talking business, you keep your mouth shut and your ears open. Dad would, uh, Dad would get him a bottle of Lambrusco, you know, because the doctor along the way had told him that uh, a couple of glasses of red wine would be good for his hypertension and blood pressure, you know, and, and help him. Uh-huh. Well, if the other guys were in the car, you know, they're all drinking beer. Well, Dad would get me, you know, he'd get me a bottle of Boone Farm Strawberry Hill. And I'd be in the back seat, you know, I'd keep my mouth shut and my ears open. And I would drink my bottle of wine. And then after I drank my bottle of wine, then I would fall asleep because, you know, I got to I got to get ready and go to school the next day. Oh my um, so, I, yeah. So my drinking, I don't blame my father for it because for, to me it was a treat, yeah. you know. Um, but like I said, my dad was my best friend, you know. Yeah. Oh, dude, don't tell your mom, you know, and so I didn't, I didn't tell mom, you know. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a different time back then when uh, the, everybody in the car was drinking, and that included whoever was behind the wheel, you know. It's oh, definitely. Time, I mean, man. Yeah, it was, you know. Um, mm. I mean, Johnny Weaver for years and years and years was known as a man with a six-pack and a quart. Yeah. You know, you get a six-pack of Miller Lite and a, and a quart of Miller Lite, you know. Uh. Uh, Sonny Fargo could hit the, the, the mile marker signs on the side of the highway with a beer bottle every time he threw a bottle out the window. <laughs> you know, we used to bet on that going down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, those little bitty uh, mile marker signs, you know. Yeah. Um, but, the, I mean, that was, I, I, I guess that was the genre. That was everybody's, you know, that was your release at night, you know. You just put on a hell of a show and you're, you're coming back. And, uh, you know, so you're unwinding and you're talking business in the car. You know, it was just, that's the way it was, you know. And 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 I think a lot of that led to, you know, or opened the door to, for, for my later problems. Yeah. And let's, uh, let's get know? into that a little bit since you, you mentioned it. And, um, you know, and I've talked about it many times on this podcast that, you know, during that time in the in the WWF in the eighties, man, the, the guys were true rock stars. There's no there's no question about it, and uh, it was good money uh, for the time. And uh, you know, and the trappings that came with the fame that they were experiencing, it was a wild time. I mean, people were doing a lot of drinking, uh, a lot of drugs, and it was tough uh, not to get caught up in it. And is that when uh, did you have you know mounting problems at that point, or, or did you have it under control? At that point, everything was under control. It wasn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't become like a full-fledged alcoholic. Oh, I could drink with the best of them and yeah. I could drink people under the table. I mean, back then we were, if, if, if a, a fan wanted to come up and drink with the wrestlers, if they had an attitude, our little trick was to line up against the bar. Everybody gets a double shot of uh, Jack Daniels. You toss it back and you gargle it. Yeah. Well, we're all used to that. But the new guy that you know that just wanted to drink with the wrestlers and poke yeah. fun or, or whatever, he's not used to it. So when he throws up, he's got to pay for the round, yeah. you know. And you do that enough times, and then he's out of money. So then he, you know, toss him to the side. Yeah. But yeah, at that time, I had it all under control. I could I could drink. I could stop anytime I wanted to. It wasn't until my my wife left me in '91. I you know. I, I wasn't the greatest husband in the world and I wasn't there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, uh, and you know, my weaknesses got the better of me. Well, she left. And when so she what, left, 
that that's when I pulled the cork out and I couldn't put it back in. Yeah. But what was that that lifestyle like, though? I mean, uh, that period of time, and you're talking, you know, four or five years, where uh, you know that travel schedule was insane. You guys were all over the country. You're getting on planes. Uh, you're doing, like you said, six or seven days a week, two double shots, and you're out every night too. Uh, whether you're driving between towns or at a hotel, what was that uh, like uh, to keep up with? I mean, how did your body? Uh, and then, and then you got to go find a place to work out. You've got to eat. You've got to be at the arena on time and do a match. I mean, uh, looking back, how in the world did you did you do that? You know, uh, you you drive yourself. Uh, gosh, I mean, because Vince used to like to put you on the first flight out or the earliest flight to get to the next town. So, you know, you're on the first flight, then you get to where you're going. You get your rental car. You 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 get something or you go check in your hotel you get something to eat hit the gym uh then you go to the arena um uh you you work your match and then after your match you're in, you're you're in the bar mm. you know to last call and it all starts again the next day uh everybody had their own thing you know that they did uh you know to help keep you going I guess I, I was never into the speeds or the cocaine or anything like that. But, you know, when you've got you when you got money out the wazoo, you can get anything you want to. You can go on any street corner in any hood in any major city in the world. You throw your hands up and somebody's going to come to your car and say, well, you, what do you want? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, come on. We had doctors that were, were mailing us stuff through FedEx. We, you know, uh. It, 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 and it was it was a rock star lifestyle uh then you then you you become, you become friends with somebody in that area so when you when you go back to that area again the next time they know what to have for you you know uh so you've got your pit stops you know everywhere you go you've yeah. got your connections you know your contacts or you know or your friends what what have you um it it wasn't that hard well you know the the hard part was in the, in the airports all the time. You're getting your power naps on planes that you need. You're catching 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, or what have you. Uh, if you're in a car, got to drive for a couple of hours. Somebody's driving, and you're you know you're zoned down asleep. You know you're trying to get every minute every minute of rest you can, except for after the matches. After the matches, you're in the bar till last call. And last call back then, a lot of times was. When they holler last call, it's okay. 50 kamikazes and 50 cores lights, Ooh. you know? <laughs> yeah. That's just insane. Uh, at what point, and you said you mentioned that your wife left in, in uh, left you in 91. Uh, when did it start to spiral for you? Because, uh, you know, it, it seems you, you certainly could have uh, had more longevity to your career, no doubt about it, if, if uh, those demons wouldn't have overtaken you. But when did it really start to spiral? Well, um, I, well, it, it, it just all happened so quick in 91. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, well, around the beginning of 91, that was, uh, I did a pay-per-view for Vince and everything. My daughter was born. My first daughter was born. Uh, you know, and Nicola did what was best for her and my, and my oldest daughter, uh, I feel. And then, you know, then, 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 uh, oh, with me just being me and being a drunk, you know, um, 
I had one one night drunk that I shouldn't have had, I guess, and uh, uh, she left. Well, um, three months I, w- I was working for WCW at the time. I'd gone from Vince to WCW, and I was wrestling a one man gang in Roanoke, Virginia. And I can't tell you if it was his clubbing forearm in the back of my head or Kevin Sullivan with that tire iron in the back of my head. But I got, um, uh, I, I suffered some, uh, damage to the disc in my neck and I woke up the next morning. I was paralyzed on the left side of my body Wow! and I suffered from partial paralysis for a long time until this doctor out in California, Irving Schaffner, uh, went to work on me and, uh, got me on my feet and got me moving and, you know, at that at that point in my life, my, I was still trying to do what I could, but you know, I just didn't have it all. Yeah. And then uh, the North, but he got me on my feet. He got me mobile again, moving. And then I was out there when the Northridge earthquake hit, and I re-injured myself because uh, I was the condominiums that I lived in in Calabasas, California. Um, you know, they had those great big, heavy, good doors and. I started knocking them down to get people out because everything had been destroyed in that 27 seconds worth of an earthquake, mm. you know, and that was probably one of the most scariest, you know, times of my life was during that thing. Uh, but I knocked doors down and I got people out of buildings before they fell down on top of them. And yeah. I re-injured myself and I was down for another six months. Well, I stayed in LA, um, you know, I was there for a while, and then I flew out to Atlanta to visit my dad. And uh, my dad, I, I took him to a TV taping, and Dusty came back, and he goes, he goes, hey, baby, have you seen Pops? I said, yeah, he's over by the table sending guys to the ring. He goes, no, have you seen him? And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, he's gray. He said, get him to the hospital now. Mm-hmm. So I took my dad to the hospital and he had to have an emergency surgery and have his stomach removed. And they replaced his stomach with took four, four uh, inches of his uh, large intestine and made him a new stomach and rerouted it. So I was taking care of my dad at the hospital. I'd gone out for a visit. Now I'm looking after him. Um, And I was living at the Ramada hotel there in Atlanta. Well, staph infection had set in. Uh, where they did the incision, I was. It was on a uh, Saturday night, and I, it was probably two in the morning. And I was sitting there by his bed, and he grabbed my arm really hard, really tight. And he woke up and he said, "Hello, Lord." And he laid back down, and the incision opened up, and it was just like a geyser spewing out of his stomach with all the staph infection. Oh, so the. I went and I got the doctor. The doctor told me, he showed me, how, you know, he said, oh, it's only a superficial wound and blah, blah, blah. Well, I watched him pack it with the caldus. I watched him clean it out with the uh, with the saline solution. I watched him uh, use the caldus stat, which is what they use for bullet wounds. It's like a cotton with seaweed in it. Uh-huh. So I watched how he did that and everything. And then I made my decision. I took my dad out of that hospital the next day. I went and got all the supplies, and I was carrying him into the hotel. I had uh, Delane Donovan. She was the manager there at the hotel in Atlanta. I had her crew go in there and, and uh, com- you know, just clean my dad's room like it was a, uh, a hospital room. Um, so I took him back, and when I, when I was walking Dad into the front door, this big Indian boy's there. And 
He goes, Sam Houston. I said, yeah. He goes, do you remember me? And I was like, no. And he goes, well, you kicked my ass about four years ago in Savannah, Georgia. And then it dawned on me, this is a big Indian dude that come tried out for Vince um, four years ago. And he stuck his thumb way in my eyes. So, you know, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Huh? Game on. Right? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I thought, so I'm taking my dad to the front counter. I think I'm going to have to fight this guy here. And he goes, so that's your dad? I said, yeah. And he's, oh, Charlie was 6'6", 295 pounds, you know. Yeah. And he said, that's your dad? I said, yeah. He said, let me help you. So yeah. he helped me get my dad to his room. And I changed his bandages and everything. Well, Charlie had just signed on with WCW. So after he wanted to talk to me, so we went down to the bar and we talked. And he wanted me to start working out with him at the power plant for WCW. So the next day, I went and started working out with him. And we would work out anywhere from two to three hours a day in the ring. And I noticed when I get in the ring with him, that everybody else would stop. They had four other rings in there, but everybody else would stop and watch us. Uh And uh, I worked out with him every day for, for three months. And then one night we're sitting there and he told me, he said, you need to be back in there. And I told him, I said, Charlie, my career is over. I've been hurt. And he goes, Sam, he said, we get in the ring. He goes, I'm, he goes, I'm three inches taller than you, 60 pounds heavier than you. He goes, I'm giving you everything I got and I can't do a damn thing with you. And I started thinking, I said, well, I said, maybe I'd do it if we were in a tag situation, if I was in a tag situation to where I knew that my brother was right there. And when I was, said my brother, I wasn't talking about Jake. Yeah, I was talking yeah. about whoever was my partner right, right. was there. And, uh, you know, if something happened to me, that he'd get in the ring and kill everybody. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, what about Jake? I said, Jake would throw me to the wolves. <laughs> and he said, he thought about it for a few minutes. And he said, well, I'll be your partner. Yeah. And, uh, I, we, you know, uh we went to Dusty with it, and Dusty instead put Dustin with Charlie for a little bit. Um, I did some singles matches there, and then I kind of got disgusted with the politics, so I left. Yeah. Uh, later on, Bischoff got rid of Charlie. Some stuff come on, uh, some of that, I guess, uh, EE or whatever it was. You know, they, somebody, the guys were messing with him because of his... Uh, his native background, you know, calling them names and stuff like that. And what was his name, uh, Charlie? What was his name? Charlie Charlie Thunderblood Norris. Norris, okay, Charlie Norris. Yeah. Yeah. So he came. Yeah, he came out to L.A. and uh, we got together and we did some things. Uh, uh, then we started. We started. Uh, we went to Texas and we started wrestling out of the Sportatorium under a new promotion there. Uh, we went to New Guinea where I was almost eaten by cannibals twice. There was a big black pot in my future. Oh, you, you, you think on. I'm kidding? I'm not. <laughs> okay. I want to hear that I'm story. You. Really? What, the, oh, yeah. The oh, cannibals? yeah. Okay. Yeah, cannibals. You know, they still have a lot. Larry O'Day, uh, I had met Larry O'Day in 1985 on my, uh, first, my the first time I went to Australia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, anyway, Larry O'Day and this fellow named Terry Priest, uh, the Spear Cigarette Company, which, uh, Spear Cigarette is probably as thick as my middle finger, you know, and is about, I don't know, maybe eight inches long. Uh, but it, they're rolled in the Australian newspapers, still got the newsprint on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when I, when, when I got off the, 
uh, well, let's see, we fly in and everybody's drunk and everything. They have a big party for us, the radio station. Well, uh, all the nice hotels that we stayed at were owned by the Australian government. Now, uh, New Guinea is where all the Jurassic Park movies were filmed. Uh-huh. New Guinea's about 90 miles north of uh, Australia. So we're over there. The next morning, I go outside to smoke a cigarette, and I'm standing there on the dirt dirt path, dirt little road there, and I'm smoking a cigarette, and I'm looking at all, the, all this stuff. I thought I was in a Tarzan movie. I'm, I'm not kidding. The guy walks up to me. Okay, he's walking up the street. Or the little path, and he's carrying a spear in one hand, got a great big long grass knife on his hip. He's wearing a Tarzan like loincloth. He's got a bow and arrow over his shoulders. He's got a bone th- running through his nose, bones in his nipples. He's got vertebrae in his ears, like the people wear the gauges now for the earrings. Uh-huh. Got vertebrae in that. And I'm looking, he's got a feather headdress on, not like a Native American headdress, but just some kind of feather headgear, like something you'd see out of Gilligan's Island, like the headhunters wore. wore. Uh-huh. And he's walking straight to me. And I'm expecting, you know, something like that, you know, coming out of him. And he goes, pardon me, mate, can I have a smoke? I was like, damn, you talk better English than I do, you know? So I yeah. give him a cigarette, and I light it, and I watch him walk off. I turn back around, and here comes a woman walking down the street, and she's got like a waist, one of them serape things, like a little skirt thing tied around her waist. She's bare up top. She's walking down the, the little path. She's nursing a baby on one breast and a piglet, a baby pig on the other, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is New Guinea. My, when, this is, when yeah, was, Fort when, Morsby. How, how long ago was this? <laughs> what, what year? This was back in the. I think it was back in the eighties. I mean, uh, not the eighties, the nineties, late nineties, no, okay. probably ninety seven, ninety eight. You know, the Australian okay. government was trying to take over New Guinea, yeah. uh, and it was so, me, Action Jackson, Killer Brooks, and Charlie Norris on that tour. And you're still, okay. so, so you got a, a woman walking. She's got a baby on one breast and a piglet on the other. Okay, we'll just pick it up. From yeah, there. little baby pig. Yeah, <laughs> little baby pig. She's okay. like nursing the pig too. Uh-huh. So I go back inside and I can't believe this. So I sit down at the breakfast table. Larry O'Day is sitting there, and he's talking to this other fella. So I said, Larry, I said, you ain't gonna believe what I just saw. He said, Yeah. He goes, Mate. He goes, You know. He said. He said, you're in a whole different world over here. And I was yeah. like, yeah, you ain't kidding. So he tells this other guy, he goes, he goes, mate, he goes, tell Sam what happened to you last week. He said, always go somewhere protected by the Australian Army. So this fella happened to be some sort of college professor. He was like going to be the head of the education system over there. And he said that the week before, him and his wife got in their car and they were riding down the mountain into Port Moresby. And they call the villagers, they call them rascals. So mm-hmm. he said six rascals pulled them over with their big, long grass knives. Now, their grass knives are kind of like machetes, but they're hooked a little bit. So they pull him over with the, the grass knives. So he pulls over, and they tell him, they said, we want your, your money, your, your wife, and your car. And he said, take my money in my car, but leave my wife alone, you know. Yeah. They said, no, we're going to sell her into white slavery. Uh-huh. And he goes, look, he goes, I've got $5,000 in a paper sack underneath my seat. They said, let's see it. 
He reaches under his seat, pulls out a nine millimeter, shoots all six of them, kills four of them on the spot. The police get there. Now the police take they're they're rascals too. They're villagers too. They're they're from you know they're that country too, but they take their orders from the Australian army. Uh-huh. So the police ask him what happened, and he tells them what happened. The cops go over there and shoot the other two guys. <laughs> Just blow them away. Jesus. You know, wow. human life is worth nothing over there. They've got a nut that grows on a tree called beetle nut, and they do this all day long, and it gives them a cocaine high. And then you'll see, like, we would sit on the balcony at the hotel, and you could see, like, a, a village over here, which would probably be, like, 11 or, or 12, you know, whatever, 15 grass huts, like, on Gilligan's Island. And then a few hundred yards away, here's another little settlement of, you know, 15 or 18 grass huts, too. And then they would chew this nut all day long, and then somebody would come out from each uh each, you know, each village or what have you, and they'd get out there and hack, we'd drink beer, or they'd get out there and hack each other to death at night, you know? We we couldn't believe it. Human yeah. life, if you make it to 32 years old and you're a man, uh, you've done something. Uh, I'm standing in a ring. Yeah, I'm standing in a ring. Got Killer Brooks in a headlock. The villagers bust down over 100 yards of wrought iron fence on the soccer field. They storm the place. I got Killer Brooks in a headlock, and I'm like sitting here watching the army gets called out. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? Then I hear Pat. I was wondering what that was. So I go to try to tag. No, stay in there. I was like, here, give me a tag. I need to catch my breath. No, stay in there. You're a smaller target. So what? They said, (laughs) they're shooting. The army was shooting. Shotguns and everything. I said, I'll let him go out of that headlock and I dove up underneath the ring. I was sitting there for a couple of minutes. Well, not a couple of minutes. Sitting there probably about, you know, a minute or so and underneath the ring. And then, you know, AJ and Killer and Charlie, they all like lift up the apron. What are you doing? I said, it's safer down here. And then they all, so we're sitting on, sitting underneath the ring waiting on it to all be over with, you know? Killed but, the audience. Huh? You guys were so you, you killed the audience. You were so good. That's well, a tour, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's a tour you would not forget. Um, but how did the cannibals no. come into this? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I was doing an autograph signing. Okay, yeah. uh, the next morning at the sports arena, and so I'm sitting out uh, the sports field, whatever. So mm-hmm. they've got this little bitty ring. It's about five foot by five foot ropes around it. So I'm standing there, and it was a rough crown royal night before, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting there, and they got me in this ring, and I'm signing. I've been signing autographs for about an hour and a half, all these people, you know. And like I said, I thought I was in a Tarzan movie. All the face paint, the bones, and the whole nine yards. So I'm signing all these autographs and everything. And about an hour and a half goes by. Well, I'm thirsty. I'm restroom, so I'll get out of the ring and walk in and find a restroom and I'm walking back to the ring, you know, and the people picked me up. It wasn't all that high because they ain't moved about five foot four. But they picked me up over their head and they're carrying me. They carried me all the way down uh, to the front gates of the sports complex, you know. And I'm thinking because they're tossing me in the air, singing, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking I'm the life of this party. And I get to the front gates and everything, and that's when the army came uh, with all their transports and stuff. 
and they jump out and they start shooting people with rubber bullets and beating them in the head with clubs. These Rottweilers, I'd never seen a Rottweiler with a back this wide. You could have put a saddle on that sucker and rode it. But they're dragging people, they're snatching, you know, clamping on people's heads and dragging them off. So this guy, one guy, he was the major with the uh, with the Australian Army. They get me in the back of the transport. And he goes, hey, mate, you have a bunch boogs, boonies? And I said, boogs, boonies, bugs bunny? Yeah. He said, you know the one with the little Ethiopian? I said, yeah. He said, there was a big black pot in your future, mate. He said they were going to take me and eat me so my spirit would live through them. I was oh. like, <laughs> so, and then so like you didn't four know, you thought later, you were just being celebrated, but you were actually uh, dinner. I was, yeah, I was dinner. I was <laughs> Sam Houston, the other white meat, you know? So then, oh my God. Wow. like four days later, four days later, me and Charlie were at another hotel. And, you know, the, the, the water had to be flown in from Japan and just, oh, you know, they didn't tell us about the mosquitoes give you malaria over there. So, I mean, we're having to drink South Pacific beer all day long because that's a good mosquito repellent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, me and Charlie were wanting water. So, we, there was like a little bitty store. It was, it was their big, huge grocery store, like their Albertsons or whatever. So anyway, but it's the size of a Circle K, you know, and but that's their big grocery store for mm-hmm. the village. So we walk over there. There's one bottle of water, one half-gallon bottle of water. So he said, well, hey, we'll split it. You know, we're partners. You know, not a problem. So we can get the one bottle of water. In the time it took for us to walk in the store, find the water, walk back to the counter, over 4,000 of, uh, of the village people had amassed outside. And we're trying to get to us in that store. The army had to call, come out and get us that day too. They right. said, "Mate, you can't, you know, because they were going to eat us. Yeah, you you know, they said you you can't you can't walk out of here. You know, you can't uh, get away from the the, the army or security because these people. I mean, that's what they want to do. They yeah. want to eat you. Good, they, <laughs> you uh, tasty Americans, apparently." Oh, yeah. Well, that's like, a, you know, my big joke is, you know, they wanted some Sam Houston, the other white meat, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it wow, was, that's but it was a, a hell of a story, about, uh, Sam. <laughs> oh, and, it, and it's all true. Oh, so anyway, while we were over there, okay, it's right on the equator. So it's really hot, like 120 degrees every day, but it's a dry heat, even though there's oats surrounded by ocean. So yeah. I got out to the swimming pool one morning. And they got those, you know, little crappy long, uh, plastic furniture. <clears throat> and at the time, I probably weighed, I was close to 235. Yeah. And I went to sit down in the chair, and it shattered like like, uh, like a, a window or something like that. It shattered when I sat in it. Well, I threw my left arm down to catch myself. And when I did, I popped my shoulder out of socket. Yeah. <clears throat> so I call up Larry, and I call up Terry, Terry and I, t- I tell him, look, dude. I did my shoulders out. I, I said, there's no way I can do anything. And they came to me and they said, Sam, you got to wrestle tonight. And I said, I can't. I said, my shoulder's out of socket. They said, Sam, if you don't run in the, 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 the village, or not the village, whatever, the magistrate or, I don't know, these important people come up and it's like, if you don't wrestle, we're going to have a, a full-fledged war on our hands with these people. So they take me to their little medical facility, their little hospital, and they pump like uh, they pump seventeen cc's of lidocaine into my neck and shoulder, 
so I could work that night. Jeez. You know, oh, yeah. Good times. Um, Good times on those Yeah, oh, yeah. And then, yeah, and then we just happened to be, uh, when we flew out of that, when we flew out of that country, we were the last flight to get out of, out of, uh, out of Fort Moresby. We were the last flight out of New Guinea before their civil war started. Oh, uh, the, the people from New Guinea and the people from Australia. Sure. It was, it was wild, you know? Um, but that'll be in my book. Yeah. That's I'm working on my book right kidding? now. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. I'm uh, working I'll... on my book right, right now. I've got, I'm, uh, I've got like over 200 uh, pages written in. I was trying to keep it to like 400 pages, but there's no way because everything I want to include, you know, like, uh, oh gosh, if, if, to tell you the truth, I mean, my whole life has been, uh, I opened up for the Who at the world's biggest party. I, I, I eventually we wrestled before that. We had four matches before the Who performed in the Astrodome and then at Reunion Arena for for Texas Stadium. Their show at Texas Stadium. I've done an awful lot of great things, and I want to include everything in my book. But one, the one thing that's that I really want to share with everybody first is my spirituality and my relationship with the creator. Second is okay. Yeah, I was, I, I mean, I was, a, I guess you'd call me a big alcoholic, you know, I was yeah. drinking from 91 to 2009. I was drinking anywhere from one to three fifths a day of the hard stuff. But, wow. um, through my prison time and everything else like that, when I was eligible for work release, they offered me the program. So I took the program, even though I needed the money, I took the program for that 10 months and I learned so much and I want to share that knowledge with people as well. I don't want to just tell them the good times. I want them to see the, know the bad times too. Cause when it's been good, it's been great, man. I was on yeah. top of the world and when it's been bad, it's been, it's been really bad, but I've always climbed myself. You know, I've always been able to pull boots on tighter and climb up They're just this last May. Um, Chad Milton would be dead if I hadn't been where I was at. Uh, he got jumped by three boys, got stabbed, got his, uh, got his skull fractured, his eye sockets broke, his cheekbones broke, his nose and his jaw. His two buddies ran off and left him there for the kill. You know, I had to, I, I, I had to turn into an animal. You know, uh, I saved that boy's life. I, I had rank come up to me, upper rank there, come up to me and say, hey, you know, he would be dead if it weren't for you, if you hadn't got, got in there. I said, yeah, they, you know, because they came back four other times, four more times to finish him off. And they could have got through everybody else, but they couldn't get through me. You know? You know? So, well, you I know, mean, it is, I'm it, not. It, go ahead. Okay, but I'm on a, uh, you know, uh, it's 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 like, uh, you know, I do what I can. I, I, I've, I've had a rough, rough go of it, but I'm not complaining because, you know, um, you know, he's seen me through and I want to, I want to share my, my personal, uh, I want to share everything with the people. Yeah. So it's going to be hard to put it in like 400 pages. Um, but as soon as it does come out, I, I, I'm, I'm leaning to the, to the, uh, to the title of my scars tell a story. It's something we've been working on from it started off with Jamie Morris, a disabled veteran that I helped. And, uh, you know, uh, he started putting things together then and we're going to continue just because Jamie's not around with me anymore. Doesn't mean I'm putting a halt to a, a halt to any of the, uh, anything that we've done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that the time you, you spent in prison, I think it was in 2005. Um, 
and it's a cautionary tale for I think a lot of people. And then when that book comes out, I'm sure it's going to be able to help a lot of people. Do you think that uh, in a way, and it, and it's certainly hard to look back, but it was a blessing in a sense because you said it. You were offered the program, you took it, and it and it sounds like it changed your life. Well, it did. Well, okay. I, my my first troubles started around 2005, yeah. you know. But then I got my prison time in 2010, mm-hmm. um, and I did five years. I did, or 2009. I did five years. Uh, got out and everything, and then uh, and because of my own stupidity of putting other people first, uh, just recently it was last year. I was I was helping out an old friend. Uh, and she had a, she had epilepsy and she couldn't be left alone. And I stayed in Texas longer than I was supposed to. Well, when I got her taken care of, I was ready to leave Texas and come back to Louisiana and get straightened out with parole. And instead of, instead of allowing me to do that, um, she, uh, she called the uh, sheriff's department in Texas. Uh-huh. And said that I was in town, but uh, without papers, thinking they would keep me in Texas. Right. And they didn't. They, they, I was supposed supposed to have done a ninety day technical violation, a ninety day turnaround, is what they say. But there was another fellow by the name of Michael Smith that had been stealing cars in North Texas, and they hit me with those charges. So I ended up having to do eleven months. Boy. In T in TPSO jail. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm ticked off about it. I really am. Um, but Chad Milton would be dead if I hadn't been there. Uh, there's a lot of guys that, that, uh, were saved because I was there because I was able to talk with them about the book, talk with them about the word, share with them my own experiences, uh, Lolly Kemp hospital in, in independence, Louisiana. I did a lot of great things there for a lot of people there. Um, because that fight in, in May, um, when, when I did that, when rank came up to me and told me I saved his life, well, they needed to get me out of that dorm. I was, I was in a dorm with murderers, armed robbers and everything else. They needed to get me out of that dorm or I would have been the next target. Hmm. Um, and I spent 12 days in that dorm after that, you know, but they went ahead and they got me out and they got me moved into the chapel. And then they made me a trustee. I'd been a trustee everywhere I'd been been before. You know, I was always a model inmate. But um, I had been a, a trustee everywhere. So they put me to work at Lolly Kemp Hospital. And I worked hard every day. I went out there. And what, what it did for me, the benefit I got from it, was that I got uh, two meals a day that I didn't have to eat grits and bologna. Mm-hmm. You know, for breakfast or for breakfast or lunch, yeah. I was able to eat good me- good meals. Um, and because I did go one step further, one step, you know, Hector Guerrero told me always go a step further than anybody else. Uh-huh. You know, always be the best that you can be. So no matter what labor I'm performing or anything like that, I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm not going to, and I'm not going to be satisfied until I know that I've given it my all. So how are you doing now? How's now I'm now? doing great. Yeah. Now I'm doing great. I've got uh, I've got a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. uh, uh, that are opening themselves up to me. Um, uh, uh, gosh, I just went and I did uh, uh, the uh, Wrestlecade up in the North Carolina. Yeah. 
Uh, I've got a new management team. Will Knight uh, out of uh, Pittsburgh is helping manage me, helping me uh, with bookings and things. I'm back. I'm gonna be back in the ring. Uh, Dave Lackey down in Houston, Texas, is gonna help me with that uh, on the Texas side. Will is helping me on the uh, on the Northeast. Alpha and Sika Alpha uh, can't wait to get me down there with WXW. Uh, I've got some. I've got plenty of opportunities in the Carolinas. Uh, we're working. Brent, uh, a friend of mine, Brent McCormick, and I, we've got something uh, for in the works for pro football. You've heard of the Who Dat Nation, right? Yeah. For the Saints. Who Dat? Yeah. Well, we've, sure. Yeah, we, we, we've got the Voodat Nation. We just got the Articles of Invention uh, day before yesterday, two days ago, and we've got. Uh, uh, gosh, we, uh, we, we sent off for our copyrights yesterday on it. Yeah. So I'll be looking for, you know, if, if somebody wants to make a small fortune, um, you know, uh, it's going to be available. I want to use, uh, the people I want to use to put in production are going to be people on disabilities and on fixed incomes to where they can supplement their incomes. I found out through social security that they'll be allowed to make around $2,000 a year without it messing with their disability payments. Hmm. Um, you know, and they can supplement their, cause it's, a, a person can't make it on $750 a month. I, you know, no. I don't, I, I know people are struggling everywhere they go, you know, but I want to help people as much as I can. Uh, I've got a friend of mine. Her name is Cherie Perez down in Florida. When, uh, I fell for this, uh, one fellow's, Dave Nelson is his name. I fell for his line of BS uh, in 2017. I went down to Florida, and he promised me all this, that, and the other. He was going to have all these guys, but he was promoting guys that he didn't have booked. So I got down there, and I started straightening up his event. It was called Weekend in West Virginia, and this guy was a bald-faced liar, really. Um, and I don't really like to trash talk anybody, but he made a lot of promises that he didn't keep. And, uh, but I got down to Florida and was, uh, was getting ready, was helping him, uh, to try to make a success out of his, uh, out of his, uh, his dream, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'd been there four days and things started to fall through. Well, uh, I moved in with a lady. She was, uh, disabled. She had broken or actually severed her spinal column in a snowboarding accident eight years earlier and her name is Cherie Perez. Uh, Cherie is like, Oh God, uh, you know, she, uh, she's a, a wonderful human being. Anyway, she had, uh, she had tried rehab for six years mm-hmm. and found no benefit. Well, she gave up and she sat in her chair for two years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I moved in, I, I moved in three weeks later. She was working out every day. Within three months, she could put her leg braces on, and she was walking two hours a night. Now, that's the funny thing I did. Our creator did that, and her and, and her motivation, if I could encourage and if I could help and if I gave her that drive, I am so proud, you know. Um, but, but she's up on her feet, and she's got a, a severed spinal column. She gets pulled behind a boat on a little bitty surfboard with a seat welded to it and does all the spin arounds and everything else. And the, a year ago, last August, she rode a jet ski for the first time in 10 years. Wow. That's great. You know, you know, uh, so 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, no. um, you know, uh, uh, Jake's uh, troubles have been well documented, and he's uh, really turned his life around, it seems. Have you guys uh, been close lately? And I'm sure you must be happy with how he's doing. Oh, I'm, I'm really happy. I mean, you, you know, Sean, it's like this. That's my big brother. Yeah. You know, I looked up to him. I mean, my whole life I looked up to him, not just in the, in the ring, not just a career and everything. I've always known that my brother's special. Um, and I've always cared and I've always loved him, you know. But Jake's a little bit of a different bird, you know. Um, I, I mean, I'm just being honest, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I push him. I, I push him forward. I exalt him. I mean, he's one of the greatest that this business has ever had. Yeah. You know, I'm great too, but I'm great in my own way. I wasn't. I wasn't the, the, the mind or the talker that he is. You know, I, I've I've, I've kind of gone my own way. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I think my work did it more than anything else. Yeah. You know, and my positive attitude, and just—I don't know—I—I I, I look at things a little bit different than, differently than he does. I, you know, I—I I don't know. I mean, have you been my in brother's touch? the greatest. That's all I can say. Oh yeah, we spoke at uh, WrestleCade the other day. Yeah. Oh, I gotta tell you, oh, this was great. Okay, you know, whenever, whenever I go to events and stuff like that, of course you're gonna get that one guy or one person somewhere go. Hey, you know, and he, he, I always get it. You know, some just somebody yells at me and says, "Hey, Jake the Snake Roberts," and I always go, "No, I'm his brother." So the other day, I'm signing autographs and everything, and my friend Brittany Diamond, uh, her she was running uh, the the table for Alpha and Sika. So her mm-hmm. son came over. I needed to go get something to drink and use the restroom. Mm-hmm. I've been signing for about three hours. So she sends her her son Blade over to watch my table while I excuse myself. So he's sitting there, he's at my table, and I saw I walk down the out of the convention room and I'm walking down the hall to the men's room. And somebody yelled, Hey, Jake the Snake Roberts and I yell out, No, I'm his brother and I turn around and Jake was standing right behind me and he goes, Now that was funny. You know <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, but we we talked for a little bit, and I, you know, caught up a little bit. He's in Kansas City now. He's out of uh, working out of Kansas City, and and look, I, you know, I'm just I'm just happy for him. You know, I mean yeah. that that monkey he had on his back was was just you know it was horrible too. Yeah, you know, I've been there. I've seen it. Yeah, you know. Well, it, it's great, and uh, and Sam, I'm glad to to hear you're doing well as uh, too, because uh, you know, you guys. Uh, Contributed a lot to this business, and it's uh, we've lost a lot of them in this uh, in this uh, business out there. And I'm just glad to see you two doing well. well and and I want to thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, I, can I say I, I got one little quick one before before I get off of here. We got just a few minutes of time. Yeah, sure. You know, in two thousand in two thousand sixteen, the floods hit South Louisiana. Oh yeah, and I lost yeah. every. I lost everything again, you know, but I had my wrestling boots. I had my wrestling (laughs) boots. So, uh, Jake says, Hey, come to Vegas, you know, let's, you know, get you started, get you on your feet. So, I mean, it was a real dark time and, you know, for me and everything, I just lost everything. I got like the clothes on my back and a couple other things I was able to salvage. So I'm driving, I'm driving my truck and, and uh, I left South Louisiana and was headed to Vegas. Well, 
uh, I was driving through uh, Texas, and when I drove through Wichita Falls, Texas, you know, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame is there. Yeah. Uh, that Johnny Mantell runs, and they're inducting this year. I'm, I'm so happy for it that yeah. he's being inducted in the Hall of Fame. You know, and I was, I, you know, I was wondering, Sean, I said, did I matter? Did my life matter? You know, um, all this I've been through, you know, what am I? Just everything. And I started thinking about all the, the guys that I knew that were awesome in this business that have gone before me and yeah. passed away too young or whatever. So I stopped at the Hall of Fame and I was looking through and I was looking at all the memorabilia and all the plaques on the walls and all the the different titles and the different displays and everything. And, you know, sitting there and, I, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm free bird is playing and just all different kinds of things. And, and I, I was looking and then I saw the Von Eric's display and everything else. So, and then I turned around, there was a fella from the newspaper there and he, he, he came up and introduced himself to me. I started talking to him for a minute. Now, you know, I was like, well, I, you know, I'm here. I don't know. And I turned around and there was a display. And that display was my cowboy hat, mm. my duster, mm. you know, pictures of my family, you know, and, and it dawned on me, you know, I really did matter. Yes. I really do matter, you know. And uh, and that was just, you know, that, that that's our makeup. Uh, telling, you know, giving, giving you something to grab for. And before I go, I want to thank a whole lot of people that have been there for me. And if you don't mind, and oh, sure. Brittany Diamond. Yeah, Brittany Diamond. She, she was there for me. Kim Austin, Cliff Stankiewicz, uh, Relda and Gary Fudo, Ken Close. He's down in Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, Ron Trellstadt, you know, Rod Price, rugged Rod Price, you know. He's my brother in Christ, you know. Uh, Chris Seitz, my friend in St. Louis, you know, Tony Nicholson's out in Vegas, Eddie Vadreen, he's my youth minister, or he's the youth minister in, in uh, my dad's hometown, you know, mm -hmm. Lyndall Lee's the new pastor and brother Joe Patterson, and the whole congregation at Legacy Point uh, Central Baptist Church, they've been awesome, you know, wow. and like I said, Will Knight, uh, my new management, uh, and David Lackey, you know. I had David's phone number. Oh, David's phone number. I'm supposed to throw this out there. If anybody wants a new, a, a good deal on a truck or a car, <laughs> give him a call at 979-292-5031. He's in the Houston area, and we're going to be doing some business. But Will Knight, with my management team, uh, his email is Will Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S 29 at Gmail. And you can find out information on how to book me or, or, or whatever you want to do. People can also reach me on through Facebook on, um, from Michael Sam Houston is my personal page. It's open to the public. So anybody can send me a message. And then I also have, a uh, 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 Sam Houston fan nation. And I'd really like for everybody, if they wouldn't mind going on YouTube, type it in the word salvation and Sam Houston and listening to my song. Um, the maker gave it to me. Uh, I wrote it the night I got saved. The last verse I wrote while I was in prison doing my time, I recorded it down in South Florida at a Grammy Award winning studio. Uh, this fella, I guess, you, you know, I've seen his trophies. Um, 
but I recorded it there with one of the one of the fellas that I was in a, a ministry class with in Florida, uh, Kenneth Close. And Ken Ken's got uh, owns Trust in God Realty down there, but uh, he put the music together for me, and uh, we recorded it. I'm not the greatest singer in the world, but and I, uh, you know, but I gave it my heart, and that's what I want people to understand. You know, how Sean can they, how can they listen to that again? How do they, how can they listen to it? Let's go to YouTube, type mm-hmm. in the word salvation and Sam Houston. Okay. And it'll pop up, you know, and Sean, I, I, I man, I really appreciate, uh, you taking your time out. Cause I know you've got a busy schedule too. I, I appreciate you, uh, wanting to have me on as your guest. I mean, that, yeah. that, right. you know, I told you, you know, um, turn around and seeing my display and I, that, that said to me that I mattered well being on your show uh, on this great forum and everything that you got going on. You just let me know again that I, I do really matter. And I oh, want to, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for that. And that means the world to me. And I, and I want all your listeners to know that, uh, gosh, I'm here for you. You know, oh, awesome. if it's nothing well, more than, if it's nothing more than coming to see me wrestle or something like that, I hope I'll give you joy and inspiration. Yeah. Well, uh, really, I enjoyed the conversation, everything, uh, talking about the, uh, back in the day uh, and uh, the cannibals uh, that everybody knows you're, you're, you'd make a good meal, but uh, I'm, yeah. I'm really, I'm looking forward to the book. You got to let me, I'll get you back on when, when you're ready to pull that thing out, when that's going to be released, let me know. But uh, folks, that's something to watch out for. Uh, I hope that it's going to be out soon. I'm working on it now. The, the lady, uh, Kim Austin in uh, North Carolina is, um, I, I can't type, but I can write. I got you know a pencil and a piece of paper, and I can go ahead and write. Good. Uh, she's well, typing it all up. It. Yeah, can't wait. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, Sam. Thank you so much for being on Primetime. I really, uh, really, like I said, I I really enjoyed our our chat. Well, I did too, Sean. Y'all take care and and God bless. Wow, uh, man. <laughs> Now, that was certainly one interesting ride. I did not kid you. Uh, cannibals and all the rest. And uh, it was great to hear, though, that, that Sam is now doing well. Uh, no question. He had an amazing career. With uh, Was, uh, you know, uh, all part of it was some spectacular highs and, man, some devastating lows. And uh, Sam, another cautionary tale in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, so many wrestlers of his... Uh, era also uh, were a part of and uh you know they were absolute rock stars back in the day and the temptations that came with that life claimed many of them uh, and uh, many who are no longer with us and uh, it's great to hear that sam is on a good path and i really want to thank him again for coming on uh before we get out of here once again i want to thank everybody for listening this is uh, uh we got to, what one more episode before we uh, wrap it all up for 2019, and as I mentioned before, we got to the conversation with Sam that we are doing a very special episode. I hope that you're going to join us. Everybody's welcome. Uh, we're going to uh, bring folks on. We're going to have, uh, you know, uh, Casey and Evan, you know, the guys behind the scenes that do it all for us. They'll be a part of it, and I'm hoping a lot of our listeners will as well, that you can come on and talk about some of your favorite uh, episodes of, of PTSM. We'll run some clips of some of those episodes that we really enjoyed. And you can be a part of it. It's going to happen Sunday, December 22nd. That's uh, this Sunday. 
And uh, you can uh, become part of it by just emailing us at primetimemooney at gmail.com, primetimemooney at gmail.com. And uh, we will send you a link because once you send us that email, we can send uh, one right back to you with a link to the event. And you click on that and it gets you in and they'll uh, have instructions there for you to join us. But I want to have you, you know, I want everybody to come on and you can, uh, you know, listen and then we uh, listen and then also be a part of it. You can actually come on and give us your take. And uh, we're going to then uh, play that as an episode uh, for our New Year's special. Okay, so uh, check it out. Email us at primetimemooney at gmail.com so you can be a part of it. If uh, our Patreon members, you know you're all in already. And, uh, of course, you will be able to uh, uh, join us as well. You will already have uh, an email sent to you for the link so that you can uh, join us. But I really want to thank you guys for supporting the program once again all year long. It really, really helps us uh, keep going here, bringing you new episodes every week. And uh, if you haven't joined us on Patreon yet, you can do that uh, by just going to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. That's patreon.com slash primetimemooney for as little as $4.99 a month. You can get all the episodes early and ad-free. That's right. And then there's some other tiers there that we'd love to uh, have you join us. You can get to other perks, you know, watch-alongs and uh, actually having your own podcast with me. Uh, just check it out, patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Okay, and uh, once again, if you are looking for those last-minute gifts for those special people in your lives, go to MooneyTees.com. Pick up one of our T-shirts, Sean Mooney Ho, or uh, maybe the MWO. Uh, we got a bunch there, and uh, you can check them all out at MooneyTees.com. Uh, we've got another full week coming up of PTSM. We've got uh, Mondays. Of course, we have the uh, the PTSM Network classics that take place every Monday. Uh, I forgot to mention also on Saturday we release uh, the Vault episodes, an episode from the past that uh, perhaps you did not get a chance to listen to. Uh, that will be up. And then, uh, so then like I said Monday, you got the Network classics. And then Wednesday, every Wednesday, we've got a new original episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney, and they're all dropped at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. All right. Remember, enjoy the holiday and have a great time and be sure and join us for our special uh, podcast episode this Sunday. That is December 22nd. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney and I am out.